I'm not really into poetry, but I found a good one that felt appropriate for this episode on celebrities. It's called Fame is a Bee by Emily Dickinson, and I'm going to read it because it's very short. Fame is a bee. It has a song. It has a sting. Ah, too. It has a wing. That's And just like all other poetry I go, I think I get it, but I probably don't. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's it. Fame is a bee. It has a song. It has a sting. Ah, too. It has a wing. So yeah, fame is fleeting, right? Okay. Uh, yeah. Is the big is the big takeaway. Yep. But also uh, the sting, right? Okay. Yeah. Fame and celebrity are great, but they come with um, some downsides. Yeah. You know, there's a price. There's a price to celebrity. That I think. That's, sure. That's pretty easy to see. I think one of the biggest downsides, well, at least it's appropriate for this show, is that it can attract some unscrupulous characters to your orbit. Yeah. People who will take advantage of you or make you feel insecure so that you feel like you need them. Okay. That level of dependency and trust can put famous people in very vulnerable situations. Situations that can make them susceptible to, yeah, fraud. If you'd like to earn CPE credit for listening to this episode, visit earmarkcpe.com. Download the app, take a short quiz, and get your CPE certificate. Continuing education has never been so easy. And now, on to the episode. This is Oh My Fraud, a true crime podcast where instead of murder most foul, we have numbers most false. I'm Caleb Newquist. And I'm Greg Kite. Greg, should we read a review? Absolutely. I love reading reviews. Uh, Here's one that was actually left on the Earmark app. It says, quote, the non-professional cursing throughout the podcast was unnecessary. There's enough interest in the topic alone. I may curse, but it's not a great presentation of the profession to include it in a, quote, professional, unquote, education class. And that was followed by them leaving us exactly one star. (laughs) all right uh i i I agree uh that the non-professional cursing was unnecessary but fortunately as we have discussed greg uh like 99 percent of our cursing is very fucking professional so 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 goddamn professional (laughs) also i i like how they said that there's enough interest in the topic alone without the cursing but mm-hmm. i like to think that at least five percent of our listeners uh, don't care at all about <laughs> the fraud and they're just listening because they're swear enthusiasts i am not kidding you i am i i am not making this up i have had multiple people which is more than two <laughs> say to me that they like the way that i say fuck and I oh. am, and I don't know what it is. Like, whatever. I mean, I've been cursing a long time, and I've been, conf- and I, I will say, I have also been paid to curse for now, going on, yeah, probably close to fifteen years. Yeah. So, like, that's true. It is, it is professional cursing. Reviewer yeah, that's, of this that's podcast. A good point. Yeah, yeah. You are, you are. If you're getting paid to do it, you're a pro. So there yeah. you go. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. We love getting reviews, even the one-star ones. Uh, so whether you're, but we we much prefer the, you know, the five-star variety. But anyway, if you're a fraud enthusiast or a swear enthusiast, leave us a rating uh, and a review on Apple or Spotify, wherever you listen to the podcast. Leave us a review there or a rating, and uh, 
We much appreciate it. Yeah, do it. Greg, we share a strange characteristic, don't we? Yes, uh, we are both swear enthusiasts. <laughs> yes, but uh, no, that's not what I meant. Oh, uh, did you meant that we're both hardcore Disney adults? <laughs> no, never mind. Just me? Is, do you not? <laughs> I mean, maybe I'm a Pixar adult. I don't. Is that a? I don't know. Uh, it's like a but subgenre. That's, no. Okay. Well, no. Wait. 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 I, I know what it is. It's it's the lactose intolerance, right? And and which is okay because we both agreed to never eat Ben and Jerry's on days that we record. So that's <laughs> no, that, no, that's uh, not it. Uh, um, what I was <laughs> referring to is um, that we uh, enjoy. I don't know if that's the right word. We enjoy some. Yeah, we we or we have some low level fame. I think you may enjoy a little bit more. Uh, local fame as a as a stalwart comedian in the greater Salt Lake City area. But what I'm actually referring to is our low-level fame in the accounting profession. Yeah, and uh, uh, yes, I would I would agree with you, but I also have to emphasize that, that it's an extremely low level of fame. Because yeah. I think you, didn't you, I remember you saying that you were kind of proud that you felt like you sort of co- coined the phrase accounting famous. I didn't which, coin that. What's that? You did? I no. Come on, no. That well, wasn't but, me. No. But but you you embraced it, and uh, <laughs> and and the whole idea of accounting famous is also synonymous with so not famous. Um, yeah. And, uh, and but but yes, there have been a couple times uh, that that I have met people for the first time, and they've kind of geeked out meeting me. Uh, yeah. They've been podcast listeners. Uh, uh-huh. But but they also pulled it together pretty quickly, uh, you know, after realizing how extremely low the level of accounting fame was. <laughs> yeah. So uh, and, and it was and, and I, I don't know if you if you get the same when you do kind of feel that vibe coming off of somebody. It, it's I don't know the right word. It's not disconcerting. It's just it's but it's definitely surprising. You're kind of going, huh? You're yeah, you're you're feeling weird to meet me. Um, yeah. Uh, all right. You know, yeah, it's um, I have I have uh, several encounters that are people who either uh, were introduced to me or saw my name on a name tag or just recognized me for uh, and again, unsure how. But I, I you know, it used to be I, I try not to be dismissive because the in the cases where they're excited, I'm like, Oh, they're having a nice time. I don't yeah. want to let, I don't want to, I don't want to rain on their parade. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's flattering. It's nice. You don't want to be super, it's super yeah. flattering. And I think it's also, it's, it's one of those things where I, I remember someone, I don't remember who said this, but the, the right level of fame is where when you go someplace and lots of, and, and, and people know you're going to be there and then they show up to see you because you're going to do whatever it is that you do, but then you can walk out of that place and go to Whole Foods and people won't recognize right, like, right. It's just totally fine. Right. Right. Absolutely. You know, if you're Mike, if you're Michael Jordan, you can't fucking leave the house. Right. Yeah. Leonardo Without, DiCaprio doesn't yeah. get to be a Disney adult. Right. He, no. That's just not that that's the sting of fame. Thanks, Emily totally. Dickinson. You're absolutely yeah. correct. Yeah. But anyway, um, rather than continue talking about our petty celebrity, Greg, <laughs> I uh I thought we could talk about some real celebrities. Yeah. Uh specifically those who have been victims of fraud. The celebrity, Billy Joel, singer, songwriter. 
drinker, maybe a heavy drinker. You know, the piano man. Greg, uh, are you a fan of Billy Joel? Uh, no, I am <laughs> okay. I'm unequivocally not a Billy Joel enthusiast. Oh. Uh, if, if, I was, if I was a listener of our podcast, I'd probably stop listening to this podcast knowing that Billy Joel was part of the topic of this episode. <laughs> I, I can't say I've ever actually left a, a business establishment when Billy Joel started playing on their speakers as background music. I have left a store when Neil Diamond came on. So he's oh. Billy Joel's maybe not the <laughs> bottom of the list, but he's pretty damn close. You got it. Uh, I, I, this, this rings a bell for me. Um, if you listen to episode 36 of Oh My Fraud, it is about uh, Selena, the Tejano icon. Uh, and there is a, a discussion about Greg's intense dislike of Billy Joel and a few other artists that I'm not going to spoil. You should go back and listen to episode 36. Um, <laughs> but in any, in any case, this, this, this is now all coming back to me. Yeah. Anyway. Billy Joel, so Greg noted, G Greg's dislike has been noted for the record, uh, but we, we, have a, we have a show to do, right. so uh, hey, I'm going to press on. I'm a professional. I'm not, I'm, yeah, I like yeah. quit the podcast right now. Right, going, yeah, right. I, Caleb, I just can't do this. I anymore. can't work like this. Not, not this. You're on your own. <laughs> All right. Uh, Billy Joel first rose to fame in the 1970s with his second studio album, Piano Man, mm -hmm. and then his breakout fifth album, The Stranger, in 1977. From 1971 to 1993, he released 12 albums in total. He's one of the world's best-selling musical artists with over 160 million albums sold worldwide. He has many hit songs that you've no doubt heard. Yeah. Uh, the Piano Man, Just the Way You Are, Only the, the Good Die Young, Uptown Girl, uh, River of Dreams. Oh my God! There's countless Billy Joel songs right. that, everyone, I actually, that everyone knows. I went onto iTunes because you know how you can listen to just a snippet of the songs. Yeah, on right. There? Because I, because I was convinced that there was a Billy Joel song that I that I was like, that's a good one, and yeah. I couldn't find it. So it <laughs> might. So I might just be wrong that there. I knew it was funny. I was like going, yeah, I know this one. Yeah, I'm familiar with this one. Yep, I've heard this one, and I just listened to enough of it to go. Still hate, oh. hate, hate it, hate it, hate it. Yeah, and then I gave up, and I was like, I don't. Maybe there's not one. Oh well, sorry, Greg. Yeah, I mean, anyway, but but uh, but as you said, yes. they're all familiar. I mean, you, you'll if yeah, you, he's guy the guy the guy ubiquitous. He he wrote a lot of hit songs, a lot of pop records, a lot yep. of pops uh, pop hits. He he also had a very successful touring career. Uh, he was one of the first U.S. artists to play in the Soviet Union when they lifted the ban on rock music. I didn't even know. I, I guess I forgot that that was a thing. But yeah, they didn't have rock music in the Soviet Union for a long time. Yeah. For those of you too young to know what the Soviet Union is, <laughs> Jesus, go read a book. Okay. Um, yeah. But welcome. Uh, we're glad that you're here. But yeah, we were glad you're listening to the podcast. Um, <laughs> you, you fucking imbecile. We're so glad you're here. Go to a history class. Uh, as of this recording, uh, we're recording this in uh, August of 2000, uh, 2023. Uh, he is still playing monthly concerts at Madison Square Garden in New York City. Yeah. Um, yep. He is. My, and my, my wife, my wife has seen him at Madison Square Garden oh. in New York City. And from what I can tell, uh, some of the fans are uh, they, they do not appreciate the people standing. Oh, <laughs> for the show. <laughs> <laughs> Sit down. I didn't yeah. come here to get exercise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
I, so I, that, that I was did, one of her big takeaways from the show. That's awesome. I, I, uh, I did a quick, uh, I did a quick Google of yep. of his concerts, and apparently, with these, the Madison, the monthly Madison Square Garden res- residency, he he makes uh, two billion dollars per show. Yeah. So he's not there. There that that doesn't two million bucks a month yep. for one show. Not a bad mm-hmm. gig. And and maybe this will improve Mr. Joel's standing in the eyes of one Gregory Kite. Uh, it is my understanding that he leaves a couple of the, I think either the first row or the first few rows of those shows, he leaves them empty and he brings people from the nosebleeds, I think, Oh, to put them into the front row or something like that. It it's, seems it is some kind of like, you know, you know, like there is something about those first few rows at his shows that he, he ends up filling with, you know, people that are in the way back or, or something. Right. See, and, th- and that might sound altruistic uh, to some, to me, it sounds desperate where <laughs> uh, I understand no one's willing to pay the money to sit in the front row of a Billy, of a Joel, Billy concert. Joel concert. So right. I'll right. take, I'll take you, you people who clearly for whatever reason, desperately want to see me, even though you can only see me on the jumbotron and bring yeah. you up here. All right. Didn't, so needless didn't to Billy say, Joel wrap a couple of cars around a couple of trees too in yeah, Long Island? Yeah. yeah, he's had he's had his share of uh bad driving incidents. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Motorcycle wrecks, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Anyway, needless to say, uh when you sell 160 million albums and have many hit songs and a very successful touring career, uh you have made some money. Yeah. Quite a lot, actually. Y- yes. Anyway, um, during the early years of his career, Billy Joel began a relationship with a woman named Elizabeth Weber Small. Small issue with this relationship uh, was that Elizabeth was then married to Billy Joel's former bandmate, John Small. Ah. Uh huh. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, small matter. Yeah. Uh, when the affair was discovered, Elizabeth left both of them. <laughs> but then she reconciled with Joel later on, and they were married in 1973. And oddly, she became his manager. Yeah. Wow. That's that sounds uh, exhausting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as 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 peep as Greg and I are experienced in the uh, in the uh, institute of marriage. So uh, that well, I'm just. I'm I mean, saying. my wife is the boss, no doubt about it. But um, in a professional context, she's not. Uh, so um, you know, there's well, some relief there. And I just, I mean? I mean, just the, this the scandal and the reconciliation, and then all yeah. of that. That just sounds like oof. That's that's the part of the the biopic that would be tough to sit through, right? Where you're just yeah, you're, <laughs> and you're kind of shaking your head, like oh, I this is going to go wrong, right? Right. <laughs> this you is going to you go don't need, badly for him. You don't need a literary style foreshadowing to just go okay. <laughs> Yeah. All right, let's see how this plays out. Yeah. According to a New York Post account of a Billy Joel biography from 2014, lots of people around him considered Elizabeth, uh, quote, controlling, manipulative, rude, and far more enthralled with the rock and roll lifestyle than Joel. Wait, wait, which, which means she was more enthralled with the rock and roll lifestyle than she was enthralled with Billy Joel? <laughs> It seems or, to be yeah. okay, or that she was—I mean, either way—or that she was more enthralled in the rock and roll lifestyle than Joel was enthralled with the rock and roll lifestyle. I mean, I think he was pretty enthralled with the I rock think and roll so lifestyle too. He seems, too, but like, he seems pretty into it, especially like it, you see old pictures of him from the '70s, and he wears like fur coats and stuff, and yeah. like, yeah, yeah, it's like he was enjoying himself for yeah. sure. 
Yep. Um, but maybe she just enjoyed herself even that much more. I yeah. Don't know. Right. Enjoyed the anyway, trappings. You and, bet. and I'm sure there's plenty of trappings to enjoy. Indeed. In 1982, I'm fast forwarding a bit, but in 1982, the couple filed, filed for divorce. What? Yes. Yeah, oh, right. I thought nine years though. Gonna, yeah. Nine years. Nine, nine years. For, that's a run for a, for a rock for a rock star. That's that's till death to us part, basically. Yeah. Uh, that same New York Post article said that um, when Joel was in the hospital after a motorcycle accident, uh-huh. uh, Elizabeth quote came to visit. Contract in hand. Joel recalls her asking him to sign everything he had over to her. End of quote. Wow. So like um, the divorce, the divorce papers while he's hooked up to a to a heart machine yeah in a in a body cast or right something. yeah that's yeah. what i'm seeing yeah anyway elizabeth's brother frank weber who had been working for the couple sided with joel in the divorce and became his manager when the couple eventually separated in august 1989 just before joel was releasing his 11th studio album stormfront he fired frank well after an audit of Joel's finances revealed some serious discrepancies. Okay. Uh, yeah. Joel sued Weber for $90 million, $30 million in compensatory damage, and $60 million in punitive damages. Wow. Alleging fraud and breach of fiduciary duty. And this was in 1989. I mean, 1989 is a lot of money in 2023 dollars. In 1989 money that's uh, that's back when when state lotteries were just starting off and everybody was like oh if i won one million dollars in the lottery oh i would be set i'd be the richest guy for the rest of my life totally these days these days people if you if they win a million bucks they're like i gotta stay keep working right he's just exactly is this but he but back then he's suing a guy for, ni- for and, 90 and let me million. S- let me see if I can pick that apart because this is what yep. I'm reading in there. Yep. So 30 million of compensatory damages basically means you stole 30 million dollars from me, give me Correct. my 30 million dollars back. And then Correct. the the 60 million in punitive is like you're also just a bad person and because you're such a bad person, I I'm, I'm demanding that you pay me an extra 60 million dollars for just being a an asshole. Also correct. Okay. You have it you have it exactly right. Perfect. A September 1989 report from the Los Angeles Times listed a sampling of the allegations, which included, first, a two and a half million in loans were given without Joel's knowledge or authorization to various horse breeding and real estate partnerships and other businesses controlled by Frank. Okay. Frank Weber lost more than 10 million of Joel's money in investments of a highly speculative nature, many of which involved Weber's own companies. Oof. Weber double-billed Joel for his music videos, cheated him on expenses, including travel and accounting fees, and mortgaged Joel's copyrights for $15 million without disclosing it on uh, Billy Joel's financial statements. And finally, caused phony financial statements to be issued to Billy Joel, which painted an unrealistic picture of his finances and the value of his investments and failed to reflect liabilities, guarantees, loans, and mortgages. So there's a lot going on there. There is. A lot of which... Uh, here, I, this is this is certainly uh, this is gross mismanagement at the least, and, yeah. Or at, at at best, it is gross mismanagement, and at worst, probably fraud. Wouldn't you say? Oh, oh, yeah. Well, well, it's it's absolutely fraud. I mean, once once we're saying that uh, 
there's things that aren't being disclosed on Joel's financial statements yeah, yeah, and yeah, phony yeah, yeah, financial yeah. statements and that yep. there's things that are happening without Joel's knowledge or authorization. Yep, I mean, yep, yep. I, I, I'm saying all that stuff is, is that's fraud. a breach. That, that'd be a breach of, uh, of, uh, fiduciary uh, duty, fiduciary duty. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And, yep. and yep. again, cause you gotta, cause, cause I, I mean, if we really want to get technical about fraud, the way I understand it, it, it from a criminal perspective is it's not just, that you it's beyond mismanaging money it's not just that you you know that that you made some bad bets right right like like right. you said that there was what what he lost more than 10 million dollars on highly speculative uh investments and it's like that, that's one thing where it's like okay we're risking a lot and they were bad bets and we lost a bunch of money that that yep. happens to people but but it's it's when it's like they were highly speculative because it was going into my companies that i was yes. doing moonshots with then you right. go okay that so you you did intend to actually divert these funds to your there was scienter is the specific right which is like criminal intent so right and like and like you said, I think the the idea that he borrowed against Joel's copyrights, yeah. fifteen million dollars, and then didn't tell him. Right. So then, not only did he he used an asset that didn't belong to him, yeah. borrowed money against it, and then just didn't tell the person who actually owned the asset. Yeah, exactly. That's, that that that's that's beyond shady, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. beyond. It's definitely beyond mismanagement, and I guess that's the thing. Is yeah, beyond it, mismanagement is probably yeah is what I mean to say. Yeah, and if and if things go to and and I, and I would have to assume it when things went to court, but I think this was settled out of court. Ultimately, yes. Which yeah, we will get to here in a second. Yeah, but but it, if it were to go to court, that would be the entire argument that the defense would make was it's like this. He wasn't trying to rip him off. He was just trying to take care of business. Mm -hmm. And he was, that right. was what he was put in charge of was taking care of business. And then they're like, taking care of business wasn't even a Billy Joel song. That was a Bachman Turner overdrive. Correct. Ultimately, Frank Weber declared bankruptcy in 1990. So it wasn't even that long. Uh, and Billy Joel was only able to recoup about $8 million in a settlement out of court. There was a bunch of lawsuits that, you know, went on concurrently or in the aftermath of this. Uh, Frank Weber, Frank Weber, excuse me, sued Billy Joel and his then wife, Christy Brinkley. Uh, both of those were dismissed. Joel sued his former accountants and former lawyers. Uh, according to everything I could find, none of this really amounted to much. Right. Except lawyers getting rich. Right. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. A, lot of, uh, a lot of lawyers good, sending nice bills. Yeah. Nice work, lawyers. Exactly. Um, uh, actually, but there is one thing. Uh, the second song on Billy Joel's River of Dreams album is uh, entitled The Great Wall of China. And that is about frank weber's betrayal of billy joel oh because that's that's how you really get justice is is a, <laughs> yeah. a diss track a diss a diss track yeah yeah in an interview with entertainment tonight from the early 90s joel explained that despite his success he'd had you know some rocky financial times he spent years touring to make all the money back that he lost um when he you know if he had had that money he's like he would rather be at home and so, you know, that's he 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 did have to earn all the money back. And yeah, granted, he's Billy Joel. He's got a lot of hit songs. Like he can earn the money. He can yeah. do the work. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, uh, there's that. Yeah. Um. A Which, little more recently. Yeah. I. I mean. What? And again, it it's one of those things where it is it's hard. And this is going to come up, I think, with you know any celebrity that we bring up is you're also going. You know, you did have like there was a 
this sucks and you got a lot i mean again it alleged 30 million dollars was taken from him mm-hmm. but again a quick a quick internet search and I, I I can't say that this is accurate numbers, and I think they even say it's estimated. But right now, Billy Joel's net worth is two hundred and twenty-five million. Mm-hmm, so right. he lost. So if he lost thirty million bucks, granted, that's a tenth of yes. what of what he of his current net worth. But I'm also thinking. You also got two hundred twenty-five million bucks. <laughs> yeah. So likely, you probably could have stopped. You probably could have spent that time at home, anyways, and you just wanted the money. Maybe. That's yeah. what I'm thinking. Yeah. A little more recently, um, Billy Joel has given the impression that all of this financial trouble and betrayal is in the past. A 2013 interview with the New York Times Magazine. Uh, in that, he said that he is quote not bitter about any of that stuff. End of quote. Okay. He even told a story of how he ran into Frank Weber in the Hamptons. In the Hamptons. Right, right. So Frank Weber's not doing so bad either. <laughs> Frank Weber's doing fine I too. He's all right. Uh, and uh, they they had a conversation. So, quote, I have absolutely no hard feelings. I let all that go. I can't carry that stuff around. You'd be pissed off your whole life. Right. And so so he paid He's a not lot of- wrong. Right. He's not wrong about that. But it's much easier when you can- Earn two million dollars a night doing right. a concert at Madison exactly. Square Garden. Exactly, and I'm yeah. also—I mean, we were saying that Billy Joel clearly paid a whole lot of money to a whole lot of lawyers. Also, that statement makes me think that he—he's doing the work in therapy too. There's a there's a therapist that's getting a check every week yeah. as well from Billy Joel. And I, I mean, to be fair, again, this will not change uh, Greg Kite's opinion of Billy Joel. But oh, um, he not was, about his music. No. <laughs> well, yes, fair. Um, he was a little more, he's been pretty, he seems pretty honest about his own responsibility. I mean, in that same interview, he said, um, quote, I always had the sense that, okay, I'm an artist and I shouldn't have to be concerned about something as banal as money, which is baloney. It's my job. It's what I do. I didn't pay any attention to it and I trusted other people and I got screwed. Yeah. So like, got to give him credit for like taking responsibility because, uh, that's what therapists tell us to do. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, he, that's he, he is taking responsibility and right. um so yeah he you can tell he uh feels i i think he knows how lucky he is right i get that sense anyway even though he hasn't recorded a record in decades billy joel's residency at madison square garden is still going it will end in july 2024 which will be his 100th performance in the residency and his 150th concert at the garden overall The celebrity, Dane Cook, comedian, actor, alleged joke stealer. Uh, Caleb, do you like Dane Cook's comedy? Um, It's weird because I didn't think I did. And then in the process of researching this episode, I caught some of his old stuff and I I watched him on a, well, I, yeah, I, I caught a clip of a podcast that we're going to mention here in a bit. And uh, I, he's very, I think he's funny. Yeah. He's, he's, he's like legitimately funny and not even like he would be, not that he's a good, just a good stand up comedian. He strikes me as a funny guy. Like if you were hanging out with him, like you'd probably be laughing a lot and yeah. having a nice time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my, my take. Uh, so just to full disclosure, I love yeah. Dane Cook. I'm okay. I'm a, I'm a huge Dane Cook fan. I started listening. Have you to- seen him perform? 
I haven't seen him perform live, but I okay. think I've either watched or heard all of his comedy specials. And the thing that that I I'm, I guess I'm sad about for him is mm -hmm. that I feel like Dane Cook has become the Nickelback of stand-up comedy, <laughs> where where he just for whatever reason just the the population at large just decided hey we've loved this guy for a long time but hey should we all just start hating him now let's all just start hating him now Shall we had we? a meeting okay we had a meeting yep. and we decided that we're gonna hate him now. yep yep so yep. he's now now we all hate him because he's just hack and that's and and again and you and i were talking about him just briefly mm -hmm. before we started uh a recording and and one of the things that I think might be part of that is I think because because and I'm for real when I say he's the Nickelback of stand-up comedy, I think w when when people look at sort of the 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 image of Nickelback and you look at the persona of Dane Cook, it's it's people who are very popular, very successful in their respective entertainment fields, but also there's just a there's just enough kind of hint of douchiness with each of them <laughs> yeah. that that yeah. that you kind of, that I think that's what ends up people just going yeah okay actually we did like him but now we're we're not any we're not going to anymore uh, because of that so deserved or not popularity is fickle my it, friend it is it is uh, it's kind of like fame uh, at being a bee so. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah. Fleeting. So fleeting. Yes. Fleeting. Um, but but anyways, a bee. But anyway. for the for the record, I I think he's brilliant. I just I just listened to like literally it was last month. I was on a road trip with my fiance. We listened to Dane one of the, like something he released. It sounded like during the pandemic. It was like mm -hmm. recorded in his home, I believe. Okay. And right. uh, but it was it was great. It was really fun to listen to it. So may, maybe not the best special he's ever had but i was into it mm -hmm. all right so for those of you who are unfamiliar with dane cook's backstory uh his comedy career started in 1990 with his big break coming in 1998 when he appeared on comedy central's premium blend which was sort of a a showcase show where they'd have you know several it was just a shorter it wasn't a full special it was a much shorter set that he had on there a again i've seen his premium blend special uh oh one other thing, if I'm going to give some commentary about Dane Cook, I really love listening to his comedy. I like watching it a whole lot less because oh. he's he's too animated. Like his his like his body language is over exaggerated, and I feel like it's it distracts me from what he's saying. So I do prefer <laughs> to listen rather than to watch. Uh, but no noted noted. But uh, Dane Cook started releasing comedy albums in the 2000s, and his career really started ramping up in the mid-2000s and peaked in 2007 when he became the second comedian ever in history to sell out Madison Square Garden's arena, uh, and he started an arena tour. Uh, and again, he wasn't the second comedian to do arena tour, but he was the second comedian to sell out Madison Square Garden. But... Uh, during the time when Dane Cook was selling out Madison Square Garden and going on arena tours, he also, as I'm sure our listeners know, began starring in a lot of movies, uh, none of which you probably remember. But again, 
in that uh, Dane Cook special that I just listened to last month, uh, I, I remember him saying something like, uh, something like this. He said, good luck, Chuck only got 30% on Rotten Tomatoes, but it paid for 100% of my house. So yeah. however bad he thought his movies were, he was like the guy for yep. your rom-com kind of funny movies for for what he, maybe a couple of years. Where Yeah, there, there's a decent stretch of time there in the 2000s yeah. Yeah. where and, he was and doing a lot. Were any of them nominated for any awards? No. But uh, but did he get did he get paychecks? Hell yeah, he did. Certainly did. Uh, his Dane Cook's reputation in comedy uh, is is mixed, as we've already alluded to. Some comedians uh, just hate him. They don't think he's funny at all. Caleb, do you remember a, it's a syndicated radio show called The Bob and Tom Show? Was yeah, that, of course. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. A lot of people haven't even heard about it. it was they were based out of uh, Indianapolis, but they 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 were syndicated on my local rock station here. It was a morning show, and they yep. had they had uh, stand-ups on there all the time. And they were kind of like ape. If you were a comedian, you wanted to get on their radio show. Yeah. And and I remember, I think it was Tom of Bob and Tom. He was just like. I don't get it. He's not telling jokes. He's not doing stand-up. And yep. that was so so even when he was on the top when Dane Cook was on the top of his game, there was a lot of people that didn't understand his structure, his delivery, that sort of thing. So so that's mm-hmm. not a new thing that there was people that just weren't Dane Cook fans, uh, even when it seemed like everyone was. But Others, uh, others do think he's funny because they honestly think he's funny. Some of them, uh, maybe, I, I guess, some of that you got to also think he was he was a paycheck. So there might be people who stayed on the Dane Cook team because they were his opening acts, or they, you know, they were they were getting some sort of uh, paycheck because of their association with him. But uh, wild success, notably in the comedy world, can come with a good share of resentment, uh, and so that's that's a factor in the Dane Cook story, because as we've said, he was wildly successful. Dane Cook, as we talked about at the beginning of this segment about him, uh, he was also famously accused of stealing jokes specifically from both Joe Rogan and from Louis C.K. You know, Joe Rogan and Louis C.K., those two universally respected comedians. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, those guys. So... Anyway, Dane Cook has had a very successful career in show business, and for most of his early career, his half-brother, Daryl McCauley, uh, served as his business manager, and which was wonderful and was a great relationship uh, until about 2008. And as Dane Cook recounts on a podcast with Tom Segura and Christine Pazinski, a podcast called Your Mom's House, uh, Dane Cook was buying a house in California, but his business was still being run out of a, a like a PO box in Massachusetts. And Cook wanted to move everything to California, and part of that was hiring a new business manager to replace his half brother Daryl. And 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 again, from Dane Cook's perspective, it's like, hey, you've been great, you've been doing this. You, you, we and, and and it's very common, Caleb. For I know for stand-up comedians, and I think for a lot of entertainers, as they're coming up, they need someone to fill that role. So they'll put mm-hmm. a family member in that role. And yep. but at the same time, that it's it's pretty 
it's pretty clear that the family members not necessarily like been trained in that they they just are better right. at money stuff than the performer themselves and they were right. around and they were willing to do it so it it's to me i guess i'm kind of reading into it but i'm seeing this as being a natural evolution of dane cook's the business side of dane cook as a comedian where he's like i'm at a point now where i'm moving across the country and i need to just get like a real legit business manager so daryl you've been great but i need to get somebody else and daryl was like oh hell no and he dug in his heels about this including daryl like even refused to send uh like financial files and things like that to dane cook's new business manager he was like no i won't even send this stuff which obviously if you're a listener of this podcast you know that's a huge red flag Uh so on this podcast dane cook was telling tom segura and christina pazinski uh, that, that it just one night he just sat up in bed and and it hit him. He was like, I think my brother stole all of my money. So so that the next day he goes to the Bank of, bank of America and goes to like the bank manager and was like, hey, do I have any money in this bank? And the guy was like, nope, you don't. There's, no, there's nothing in your corporate accounts. And so... Uh, that was the beginning of of the unraveling of Daryl McCauley's fraud uh, embezzlement of money from Dane Cook. So what had been happening is from 2004 to 2008, Daryl had been stealing money by transferring uh, money from the business accounts to Daryl's own personal accounts. Again, super easy to do because Daryl's just in charge of all the business shit for Dane Cook. So in in that podcast, when Dane Cook was being interviewed, he said that he himself had no access to any of his own accounts. I feel like that's weird. I don't know what you think, Caleb, but I I get it. If somebody else is managing my money, I'm never going to say I can't get to that money unless I'm like a heroin addict. Uh, Yeah. But and and as far as I know, that of yeah. all of Dane Cook's struggles, that wasn't one of them. Yeah, no, I don't get that impression. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, so he didn't have access to the accounts, uh, but he just trusted Daryl to to handle all of his fi- all the financial aspects of his career. Which, yeah, that's what a manager's supposed to do. And and so when when he started unpacking this and he got more and more information, he found out that that like one of the the biggest most glaring things that happened is that in in one instance, uh, Daryl forged a check for three million dollars, uh, and and all told, Daryl and and his Daryl's wife's name was Erica, and the two of them both got busted for this fraud but way, way more Daryl than Erica but together they they stole at least 12 million dollars from Dane Cook so the 3 million dollar check that was that was a quarter of what they stole so obviously that one's going to stand out This episode of Oh My Fraud is sponsored by the South Carolina Association of CPAs also known as SCA CPA Hey, Caleb, you know I love diving into a juicy fraud case with you, right? But check this out. There's a place where accountants get together and talk shop and share knowledge about everything accounting related, including stories about untamed financials. Oh, tell me more, Greg. 
At every single one of my state CPA society events, there's a mountain of practical insights and experience. You get to meet other accountants, share knowledge, and even hear some firsthand accounts of financial intrigue. And here's the kicker, Caleb, you'd be hard pressed to find a better place for networking. I joined my state society as an undergrad during the depths of the Great Recession, and before I graduated, I had multiple job offers, all from firms that I connected with through my state society. Hey, that all sounds pretty good, Craig. But what else does a state CPA society bring to the table? Uh, they bring lifelong professional friendships, networking that'll turbocharge your career, and leadership opportunities. And on top of all that, your state CPA society is an unwavering advocate for you and for the profession. State CPA associations keep their fingers on the pulse of the constantly shifting business, regulatory, and legislative landscapes to keep you on the cutting edge and to protect the CPA profession. And as you know, protecting the profession means securing your livelihood. And hey, wherever you're tuning into the podcast from, be it the Palmetto State or some other state with a lamer nickname, there's a CPA association in your corner ready to ignite your accounting journey. If you're ready to find out why CPA Association membership is for you, head on over to ohmyfraud.promo slash SCACPA. That's ohmyfraud.promo forward slash SCACPA. In October of 2010, Daryl was sentenced to five to six years and another 16 years of probation. Erica was sentenced to three years and 13 years probation, uh, and they were also ordered to pay restitution of the $12 million, which they had stolen. And in the years since then, Dane Cook, much like we just talked about with Billy Joel, he, he's gotten a good attitude about the whole thing. And in 2018, he even posted a video on Twitter where, where he was showing that he was a clue on Jeopardy. Specifically, it was like, who you know, uh, th- this person's brother-in-law stole $12 million from him. And so he posts like a video of him watching that Jeopardy and him being the, uh, the, the, the answer to the, the Jeopardy question, which I, I get it. That, that seems like y- y- if you had, if Dane Cook had any questions that he'd made it, uh, being, being a, an answer on Jeopardy is going to verify that's that. Good, yeah. That seems like validation. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I'd like to be a, an answer on Jeopardy. That'd be, that'd be nice. Um, but in the, in the podcast with Tom Segura and Christina Pazinski, Dane Cook had lots of laughs about yeah. this $12 million fraud. And, uh, and even uh, told uh, that he was able to make money doing an arena tour that pay, just, just like his arena tour was able to pay back uh, the taxes that he owed because yes, mm-hmm. uh, on top of everything else, Daryl hadn't paid, uh, taxes on behalf of uh, D- Dane Cook, and also interesting, uh, like little detail about this whole thing, uh, and and another thing that Dane Cook was joking around about was that the police apparently opened up a wall in Daryl's house and found uh, eight hundred thousand uh, <laughs> dollars in uh, behind the 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 drywall, which Caleb, that's freaking weird. It's pretty funny because yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna say. If you go to the trouble to yank drywall off of your wall in your house and put $800,000 of into your wall and yes. then you plaster it and have somebody plaster it and mud it and tape it and paint it 
Um, I'm not sure exactly how the police are going to find that. I don't know if there's cash sniffing dogs that are going to be able to find where that's at between the the 16 inch center studs in your living room wall. But apparently I mean, they did because the LAPD or the Boston PD is in Boston. Yeah, they're not fucking around. I mean, I may be wrong, but I do believe that there are cash smelling dogs. Are there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But anyway, the point is, Dane. <laughs> Has a very good attitude about all this, and he was having a good laugh. He was, and like, and then he does, he does his like phony little Boston accent when he does it. He's like, "We found some money for you, kid," and he's like, <laughs> "Anyway, but yeah, he's a he's a good sport." That yeah, Dane Cook. yeah. Which and and again, he he should be, but but I mean, and if we're talking magnitudes of fraud again, so there was a twelve million dollar fraud. That's a lot of money. And mm-hmm. currently, Dane, and I'm I'm sure this is down from his peak, but currently the, the internet is telling me that Dane Cook's net worth is $35 million. So $12 million, that's about a third of what he's got right now. So that's a pretty good chunk. But also, $35 million, he's, he's going to be just fine. So, Greg. What did we learn? Did we learn anything? Yeah, I I okay. feel like I feel like <laughs> good. I feel like I did. Okay, um, and, go on. And, well, and here's here's the main thing that became that really came to mind. I, you know, my my day job. I'm I'm a in-house CPA for a group of medical office buildings. So yep. I I work with doctors, like the 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 people who invest in the real estate that I manage. They they are medical doctors. And what what I found is celebrities and doctors are similar in in how frequently they get screwed. Yeah. Uh, and, and and here's the thing, uh, working with doctors, I didn't realize this till I started doing it. But but the the interesting thing about doctors, and it's also true about celebrities, is that for a doctor, if you got somebody who's who's in you know, who, who's an independent doctor. So they're not mm-hmm. necessarily hooked up with like a, a healthcare system. But if you've got like, say a specialist who owns his own practice, that's, that is that doctor's business. Yeah. But what's weird about it is the doctor he, is the business, the, the doctors, but, but he's like the technician. It's like, yes. it's like if, if you were a, if you were a, a like a HVAC, uh, you know, heating and air conditioning repair business mm-hmm. and you were the boss but mm-hmm. you were the only one who was going out and inspecting people's furnaces right it's it's the same kind of thing so your your time is completely eaten up by getting the work done like provide basically in the in these cases providing the services that the business is doing so because of that you've got to get other people who are taking care of the business side of thing which is completely flipped around how most businesses operate. You have a businessman yeah. who was like, this seems like a profitable business to get into. And I'm, I, I do business. This is a good business. I'm going to hire the right people to provide the services while I take care of the business. It's flip-flopped when you're talking about doctors and from personal experience, I know that with doctors, you're going to be hard pressed to find somebody who at the end of their career has not had at least a couple of times where they've had like an office manager who stole a bunch of money from. That's yeah. that's a very common story with doctors. Same thing 
with these celebrities with you know we're talking here about a singer we're talking about a stand-up comedian yep. they they have not been trained in business not only that a lot and again i'm i'm speaking mostly from the stand-up comedy side because that's that's my uh what what art form domain my domain uh and i you know and i listen to a lot of you know podcasts where comedians are interviewed i have a lot of comedian friends and a lot of people like i i am doing this because i don't have any skills that could get me a job anywhere else <laughs> including yeah. like that you know they were shitty in school they hated yeah. math they you know all this yep. it's very common to hear this kind of story and so you've got somebody who just happens to be great at telling jokes or at at music but but you know, and, and it is one of those things, you know this, I know this, I hear it all the time, where people are like, that's crazy that you're a CPA and you do something creative like write and perform stand-up yeah. comedy. Because yeah. because for most people, they think you're either one or the other, you can't be both. Mm -hmm. And yeah. for the most part, that's a stereotype because for the most part, it's true, is that you're going to excel in one and not, and not in the other. But but then Caleb add on to that. So so you've got these these uh, these performers who are busy. You know their pressures to write music or to write jokes and perform these jokes and go on tours and record their stuff and and to make all the money. But then in these professions, it's weird how little like going from your your gross revenue to your net that your performer actually sees. It's it's dramatic. Yeah, the di the difference between it because, like, let's say you've got somebody who's got, uh, you know, a, an an agent, a manager, a you know, po possibly a, a a PR person. Yep, you've got may maybe a publicist, a designer mm -hmm. who's like making mm -hmm. sure you're dressing right, all this kind of stuff. So you've got this team of people. So l like like with Billy Joel again, we, we were talking. He's he's getting uh, two million dollars. Every time he does a performance at Madison Square Garden, that's that's great. But if your agent takes ten percent and your manager takes fifteen percent, all of a sudden you're already down from two million dollars to one point five million dollars. So you know, and so so when you go to your even if things seem fishy, you go to your manager and go, "Didn't we just get two million dollars for that concert?" And they go, mm -hmm. "Yeah, man, we did, but it sucks so bad because remember we got to pay." We got to pay the agent. We got to pay the, you got to pay me. You got to pay the venue. You got to pay, you know, we had to pay the publicist. We had to pay for this. We had to pay for that. So at the end of the day, you only got $250,000, man. And which could just be uh, entirely bullshit because yeah. maybe all that stuff was really only a million dollars. And right. the crazy thing that I'm thinking about with Billy Joel specifically, do you remember, you remember the part of the story where it said that Frank Weber uh, mortgaged his copyrights yes. for fifteen million dollars. Yep. Without without Joel's knowledge that he had done so. Yep. And again, allegation allegations. Of yeah. Course. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Uh. So, but but you but I think about that and I go, why would Frank Weber have done that? And I go, it's because the artist is just going to their manager, going, Hey, do I have enough money to? Mm -hmm buy this, you know, buy, buy this home in the, yep. you know, in the Bahamas, in, in, you know, in Martha's Vineyard. And they mm -hmm. go, and they, and the manager wants to be able to say, yeah, you do, because you're killing it. 
And That's so right. what yeah. Frank Weber you're did, Joel. yeah, you're Billy, you. come on. And you know, and if they're embezzling money, they don't want to be found out. So the way that the artist is going to f- sniff out that that stuff is happening is if they don't have the cash flow that they want to have. So Frank Weber goes and he gets a $15 million loan against Billy Joel's copyrights so that when Billy Joel says, hey, can I buy a new Bentley? Then Frank Weber can go, absolutely you can. Here's the money. It's in the account. Go get the car. That that right. kind of stuff. So yep. uh, so again, you just you just have this. It's it's a it's a financial literacy thing. But but I I mean that's where I, what I want to say. But that sounds like too trite even for this. It's it's that these artists they are the business. That's right. But they need to be. They need to have just some basic understandings of their business and how to keep track of that. And, and that's where I mean, things... they don't, it means it, it, it's not like, it doesn't mean they have to be accountants. It doesn't right. mean they have to be, doesn't mean they have to know how to, you know, the difference between debits and credits, but you're right. There has to be a, a certain amount of the, a baseline of kind of business acumen. Yeah. So that when they look at an income statement mm-hmm. and they and they see what's going on and they can see or even like you say the example of one concert and you and they look at you know they look at the revenue and they look at the expenses and they can see the bottom line they can look at that if they if they kind of have a baseline of acumen and the, and if something feels fishy they can be like tell me more about this right i'm a, i'm just the artist so please help me understand it right yeah. and just knowing to ask questions there you go and i think the other thing that comes to mind for me in these situations is like it, it's kind of a it's kind of a cliche in uh in in show business but like find the one honest the one honest person in show business <laughs> go find that motherfucker right and and hire them right like because yeah. because they 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 do exist like you know because obviously not everybody in hollywood gets ripped off so, or, or show business, whatever, you know, whatever you like. But I guess my point is, is you have to, there has to be a certain amount of, I think, you, and we talk about it in, with small businesses too. And you could think of, you can yeah. think of performers as small businesses. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Where you just think, okay, I'm, I want to work with somebody I trust, but also I should be pretty much skeptical of everyone. Yeah. Like it's, it's everyone is guilty until proven innocent. Yeah. Like if you're an entertainer of some measure, like that's almost how you have to go into it because you, you you take it upon yourself to be skeptical of people until they've kind of, until they've proven it's like, no man, I'm going to do you right. And, uh, and, and, and we can both do well. And, and, and this is the relationship. And they might also, I think what we've talked about in prior episodes is having that person kind of tell you, it's like, Hey, this is where you're exposed. Like this is how, this is how you can get ripped off and I'm going to do this so you don't get ripped off. Right. Yeah. And that's how I, and and then be honest about like, and that's how I, that's how I earn my money. Right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, And I think I, yeah, cause, cause I think a lot of, here's part of what I'm hearing you're saying, or at least how my brain's kind of putting this together is that people in this situation, when business isn't your forte but you still have to, I think there's a little bit of humility that has to come into it because, because again, you also go, Oh, I'm the business. And you go, you talk to your CPA and they're saying all these words that you don't understand. And you go, okay, I feel like an idiot 
Yeah, uh, because I don't know. I, I I can't even understand what's being said. Right. So right. I don't want to ask these clarifying questions. It's it, it that is your do if you're not. And I think that's kind of what Billy Joel was even saying when yeah, he yeah, was yeah. taking you know responsibility for the fraud happening. He wasn't asking the questions. I think these performers need to be able to go to their managers, or their CPAs, or whoever. Let, let, again, if it's like we just had a two million dollar performance at Madison Square Garden, you're saying I only got two hundred fifty thousand dollars from it. Walk me through it. I, yeah. Show me. Show me where the and and go. Oh, that they really got that much. Ca- where is that serious that's in the contract let's see that contract show me where that's at you gotta and if they can walk you through that consistently and again it's imperative upon the performer to to not let go until they truly understand it and and go i'm paying you to make me understand why this is all i got out of this and and if anyone if you're an entertainer and, and if anyone ever says to you after you've asked all these questions, if anyone says to you, don't worry about it, let me take care of it, right. fire that motherfucker. Right. Get rid of that person. Even if like, it's even yeah. if it's your your ex wife. Even if it's brother. your half brother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. But but yep. am am I wrong that in like every like celebrity biopic that you ever watch? that there seems to be some like some part of the story some beat of the story that's about that them getting screwed financially by a manager who's usually a family member isn't that i mean it's it's it is kind of it uh, it is kind of cliche yeah it well, does it feels like there's just countless stories about yeah, it and, and like see, again I, this is this is i guess we'll have a podcast forever and right, because yeah. these are the kinds of things we can talk about but but i mean just cuz here i'll just tell you here's ones that come to mind immediately i mean did did you see uh elvis the i did yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Th- that that entire movie was about him getting screwed by his manager. 100%. That was 100%. That I mean yeah. there was a little bit more to it, but mostly it was him getting screwed by his manager from start to finish. Yeah, um, but it was really from the but it, but the movie was told from the the story was told from the colonel's perspective, right. which is so interesting. Exactly. Yeah, that yeah, which yeah. is very mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. And then d- there was also just recently it was it was not nearly as well received as Elvis, but there was a Whitney Houston biopic that yep. just came out and and I I want to say it was her dad. It was her dad, yeah. Who was mm-hmm. yeah, who was running the business and yeah. Absolutely spent all the money. Spent all yep. the money. Totally yeah, mismanaged. Yeah. And she had to she eventually fired her dad, but not until after she had been ripped yep. off significantly by her dad. I think about um straight out of Compton about oh yeah NWA. Yeah. And there was yep. who, who's the I, I can never remember his name. Who's the 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 guy he was also the actor in Sideways? Um, oh Paul Giamatti. Paul Paul Giamatti. Yeah. And and again, I would I don't I don't necessarily think that he screwed them i think that they signed a contract that was very favorable to him yeah because he was taking a wild bet on them and yes. they ended up blowing up so yep. so that's a little that's a but but regardless the way from the from the narrative of the story me not trying to defend paul giamatti's character in that movie the right. beat of the story was they got screwed by their manager yeah right so right. so it, but, but even even in then i remember there being part of that story where Dr. Dre comes in, he goes, Hey, listen, I read through the contract. I understand the contract. This contract is shit because we are not getting the, 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 a fair amount of our, of the money that we, that we make. 
yep. for the company. So again, that that's exactly what you, I'm going to say that's an exception to the rule that these people yeah. are actually reading through their legal contracts for <laughs> yeah, themselves. For so, sure. so I say, you know, assuming that that was, that's historically accurate, good on you, Dr. Dre, for actually taking that kind of ownership of your own freaking business. Yep. And that's what needs to happen for these uh, celebrities to be protected from this kind of mismanagement and fraud. With, or, or we, we, we may be on, maybe, maybe they'll hire us, Greg. Maybe we're the, we're the future of I've business. I've thought about that. I've been like, business. man, all these guys just need to come knock on Greg Kite's door and be like, hey, will you be Dane Cook's next business manager? You're damn right, Dane Cook. When you hear this episode, give me a call. We'll tell you <laughs> how to get a hold of me at the end of the episode. Yeah. Well, speaking of the end of the episode, that's <laughs> it for this episode. And remember... Joe Rogan said Dane Cook stole his jokes, but Joe Rogan also said ivermectin cures COVID-19. And also remember that fame is a bee. It has a song. It has a sting. It can also make you the target of some shady mofos. If you want to drop us a line uh, at the podcast, please, please do. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email. At, Dane Cook. Yeah, exactly. Uh, our email is ohmyfraud at earmarkcpe.com. And Caleb, if Dane Cook wants to get a hold of you specifically, how can he find you? Oh, he can try me on Twitter, I suppose, at, New at C Newquist. And um, I don't think comedians are on LinkedIn, but I am on LinkedIn still <laughs> at backslash Caleb Newquist. Uh, Greg, uh, uh, Greg, Greg, I think you've left the internet, right? No, no, I haven't. I oh, but, okay. But Twitter is now X or something like oh, this. And yes, and, and it won't let me log on to it. So I so don't get a hold of me on Twitter because I can't even figure out how to access my account right now on there. But I, I am also on LinkedIn backslash Greg Kite, or you know, just uh, just uh, drop me an email, Greg at gregkite.com or oh my fraud at earmarkcpe.com. All of those come to both you and me, Caleb. So so that's how you can do it, Billy Joel. If you'd like me to manage your finances. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. You don't think so? I couldn't do it, Caleb. Oh, you couldn't work for Billy Joel. No, not for him. I understand. I just, yeah, it. That's that, which is that's so weird. I I would think I would sell out so quickly if Billy Joel wanted me to be his manager. Mm -hmm. Be his, but I I just don't think I could do it. You're a man of principle, Greg. No, I just that's just oh. how repulsed <laughs> I am by the music, and I don't think I could live in that world. So. Be, I mean, it's a good opportunity. You can just hear him talking. You can no. try to talk you into it. Yeah, he, he, him trying, him trying to persuade me. Come on, man. It's like, what if I covered Nickelback songs? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Then I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> Great. There we go. Oh my fraud is written by Greg Kite and myself. Our producer is Zach Frank. If you like the show, leave us a review wherever you listen. Leave us a review or rate the show. Rating the show helps people find it. We want we want people to find it. You yeah. want people to find it because yeah. you like this show, right? Yeah. Right. Also, subscribe to the show on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen. Uh, for the accountants, listen on Earmark. Get some CPE. That's helpful. That's so helpful. Super helpful. Yep. Join us next time for more avarice, swindlers, and scams from stories that will make you say, Oh, oh my fraud. My fraud.